Welcome to the EDM Podcast. My name is Sam Atler and my goal with this show is to interview successful producers and industry experts to give you the tips and resources you need to get to where you want to be as an artist. My guest today has spent the last few years at Berklee College of Music where he learned the ins and outs and theory of music and music production. He also served as the president of the Electronic Production Club while at Berkeley, consolidating the community and helping producers share their knowledge and get feedback on their work. He's since graduated and spends most of his time now producing music. Uh, he's produced two popular remixes for San Holo and received millions of plays on his original tracks. Tracks which are hard to really confine to one genre. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have Fitch on the show. He has such a unique sound which to me encompasses a range of influences and certainly stands out. Now normally when I interview an artist I have a list of questions that I more or less work my way through. But this interview is different. The first 45 minutes or so are completely unscripted and basically we just have an awesome conversation. Uh, We talk about things like workflow and creativity, um, how to really deal with creative block and also how to approach your sessions, um, how to think about when a track is finished or when you're in that phase where you're really struggling to finish it, what you should do. Um, Should you quit? Should you move on to something else? Or should you just push through? We talk about that. We talk about the importance of focusing on the fundamentals. A lot of producers will just reach for a compressor or an EQ without thinking about the volume level, for instance. Um, So we talk about that. We talk about the fallacy of trying to use something more complicated or complex instead of just using a simple fix. Fitch is definitely a thinker. So if you're not afraid to have your ideas about music production challenged, uh, if you're not afraid to have your ideas about creativity challenged, then keep on listening and definitely take some notes. Finally, uh, normally I ask you to leave a rating and review on the podcast on iTunes, but with this one, If you enjoy it, I just want you to share it with one other producer who you think would benefit from it. Why? Because I think the advice that Fit shares in this episode can save producers a ton of wasted time and also help them to avoid some painful mistakes. That's all from me. Let's get into it. This episode is brought to you by EDM Foundations. EDM Foundations is my course for new producers, those who've been producing for under 12 months or even those who've just started. The whole idea of the EDM Foundations course is that you learn the fundamentals of music production by actually doing and not just learning the theoretical stuff. The course consists of over 12 hours worth of streamable video where I walk you through the creation of three songs and give you advice and tips for working on your own original alongside them. We've had over 500 people sign up for this course. Many of them have had great results. If you want to learn more about the course, head over to edmfoundations.com. Welcome back to the EDM podcast today. I'm joined by Fitch. How's it going, man? Hey, man. Going great and uh, excited to be here. Absolutely. Now, I want to start off by talking about your beat challenge. I'll get to the other stuff Mm. soon. Um, but this excites me a lot because I love any type of challenge. I think it's great for producers to do this stuff. But mm-hmm. what made you decide to 
do the speed challenge and for those who haven't seen anything about it what is it exactly so basically the beat the beat challenge and there's been four now the last one was with splice we did a little competition which was fun but basically it's just you know start a timer 15 minutes and make a beat in 15 minutes and i've seen against the clocks in 10 minutes i kind of like Mm. i i've like and going back like to your actual question I did it to like challenge myself, but also to learn and to try to, you know, test myself within certain boundaries. And I think if I'm able to make a good seed in 15 minutes, then like that just helps me in my actual work, but it also creates like social content. And so I try to Mm -hmm. like kill two birds with one stone. Right, right. What have you learned through the process so far? Like you've done four. Is there anything you've kind of picked up on? (sighs) Definitely. Like getting like getting in a zone like honestly like the preparation is like getting in the right mindset before you even kind of jump on the computer like i really saw that when i just kind of jumped into it and and was searching for the track like in 10 minutes it wouldn't sound like anything 15 minutes still wouldn't sound like anything it just took too long and it's kind of you have to get into this like strange kind of flow where you're just committing to ideas fast, like you're not thinking too much or like, you know, trying a bunch of things out. You're just committing to ideas quickly, bringing new elements in. So, so I think the main thing I learned was, uh, was just getting into a state of like focus, which is awesome. <laughs> and that starts before you actually set the timer, like before you sit down to produce. Kind, kind of. And I mean, it's not like there's some ritual I do. There's no like meditation, some weird <laughs> stuff. I'm like chanting. Definitely, definitely not that. But, uh, but it's just, I don't know, just, just, I guess, bringing yourself to the present moment and being like, mm-hmm. okay, here it is just, and you kind of forget everything else and you kind of just get into it. And I, and I think, you know, yeah, it starts, you know, five seconds before I press record when everything's in place. And I kind of, just, you know, realize that I don't want to fuck this up because there's so many different, mm. I apologize. There's so many different, uh, um, like cameras on and like things that go wrong and like, you don't want what, what goes wrong to be you messing up, like mm. what you do in 15 minutes. So I don't know. I kind of like putting pressure like that. And I feel like sometimes we're able to make great things under pressure. So that was kind of the lesson of that. No, I like that. I think I heard, uh, who was telling me? some artist but he was saying dead mouse like mm. is kind of like that he'll just pick a sample and run with it like he doesn't spend mm-hmm. much time browsing through samples and i think that's like i certainly get stuck doing that you know there's so many thousands of samples it's like i could use this click drum or like this snare yeah. you can spend like half an hour just trying to find the right sample and i think that's a waste of time in a lot of cases yeah definitely and i think in the context of you know really like this is a certain kind of exercise. I wouldn't confuse just my general, um, you know, music making process to be kind of against the clock. I don't, I don't work like that. And it takes a long time to get things that I'm happy with and that I want to move forward with. Mm -hmm. But I think this is really a a special specific kind of exercise that then facilitates kind of the idea generation process. Like the, the, the moment where you're just creating a lot of seed ideas, then you have to go in and clean it up and there's, you know, endless work behind that, but definitely to kick things off and kind of just get something rolling. This is like a great exercise for that. It excites me because it's something I've been trying to tell people for years, like Mm -hmm. this whole, like, uh, authors do it. So this idea of a shitty first draft, 
Like yeah. just get it out, like yeah. get it down and mm-hmm. then you can fix it later. Because I know a lot of producers just try and make everything perfect from the beginning and they get stuck at like eight bars or whatever. I definitely like the way and what you're talking about. I think a, a good image I saw, like, I guess a good image I, I get of it is kind of rendering things to like higher and higher degrees of like detail, basically. You kind of throw right. a general idea, like I'll sit with my guitar and I'll write the whole song out, but just the overall harmony of it, you know what I mean, first. And then this isn't like my workflow, but I'm just saying in relation to what we're talking about, like, Mm. and then as you have like it's the whole song is there but it's just one guitar so then you know you render it to the next level where there's like different instruments then there's like the vocal and then but it's that seed idea the general idea was there in the first 10 minutes so i don't believe in like finishing the track in 10 15 minutes but i believe in like making a seed idea that can be a great track in 10 15 minutes so laying the foundation before building on top of it Right, but that, but that actually, it's a roadmap, and it's it tells you a lot already. It's not like a lot of the searching then comes in in terms of the sounds and the specific way you want to like present it. But the core, like the essential, like idea that's there is there from within those first ten minutes, and you know if something clicks, that it already like if you have a good feeling at the start, then it's something to note and something that might, you know, warrant you to like really commit to it and like kind of go see where this idea takes you. So would you recommend this kind of limitation to someone who's struggling to come up with ideas, pursue them? I don't know. You know, I've, I've really been kind of wary of like telling people to try this or that because Mm just a lot of people have told me many things like that. And I kind of, in the end, it was the things that I did that I found to work for me that kind of stuck. And I definitely think people give you good tips. I'm not saying you can't get good advice from people for sure, but this is a very specific thing. And I wouldn't want people to confuse like the time and the speed as like how we value the art, you know, like the music itself. I definitely don't think, you know, a good track is one that's made in like, 10, 15 minutes. And, and even yeah, when yeah. my, you know, my, my lyric partner, my vocal partner who like basically does, we do a lot of production work. I guess he's my production partner and also semi manager, but it's more just a, a buffer for me and just more personally um, to work on, on my project. Like he sometimes comes with me with like a song after an hour after I've given him a seed, like instrumental and melody, he comes out with the whole lyric you know, done and the whole part kind of done and, and with a big smile on his face and says, Oh, look in an hour, you know, and I'm always like wary in those moments. Cause sometimes it really does not take an hour. It takes like mm. a year to finish the song. Yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. I don't want to exaggerate, but it's like, so I never want the time to really be like the main driving factor. Cause that's, you know, it's just, it becomes stressful. There's more pressure on it. That's like added unnecessary added pressure. Yeah, totally. That makes a ton of sense. I got a question just the other day, actually, this person was asking, oh, how, how much time should I spend like making a chord progression or like drum programming, 15 minutes, half an hour? <laughs> it's, it's the wrong kind of question to ask. Yeah, really, you know, like, like there's no, there's no, you can't, you can't really think of it like that because it becomes too complicated yeah. if you're trying to think like, am I always trying to think just, am I doing the right thing? You have to just work with like, 
feeling it like you have to figure it out for yourself i think you can look mm -hmm. at what's happening for other people and what the statistics say and artists will tell you well you know this song took me this long and things like that but it just never ends up playing out to the letter like that it's just yeah. kind of an overall like map but it's not like it's just not that like specific and like you if you follow those signposts specifically it'll be too like convoluted it'll take too long because you'll look for those specific things like oh but it should take this long or oh yeah. but i it didn't feel right in 10 minutes so this song definitely can't be it that's also a problem you see what i mean like i'm saying like some songs really click in 10 minutes and then you know it but it's not because it doesn't click in 10 minutes that this one isn't like also fire so it's just hard you yeah. can't you gotta be wary with rules that you take as like absolutes on the to play devil's advocate though like some people do struggle with well i shouldn't put it that way like some people do spend too much time on a track and i say this mostly to new producers who are spending like months on their first song and mm -hmm. i just don't know if that's the best approach in terms of artist development and learning i think people are much better making a quantity of music early on yes and actually a specific advice i would give for people running into this issue um, in general is just like let time do its work so like if you're stuck on a song rather than just forcing yourself to the point that you're so frustrated with the song that you could never make it good again after mm -hmm. that point because you've kind of just like it's it's like you've you've kind of it's diluted it's in a way it became diluted because you just worked on it so much and had so many like dreadful thoughts about not being able to finish it and things like that you kind of like that stays with the song before you get to that point put them put songs on a shelf and just say okay i don't i'm not quite sure and this is also like i'll have to add something to this at the end because you sometimes do have to push through it you can't just pause everything yeah. and then because then you just will never finish anything yeah. so that's a whole issue of its own but i definitely think that coming back after like a, a week or a month or something like that will give you like the insight that you've been missing and it just kind of need it needed to you needed to work on other things and you needed to not hear it for a while and then when you come back it kind of strikes you differently and it tells you a, a whole other story that you weren't hearing before I think it's it's always a challenge and always you have to, it's good to have people around you who you trust their feedback and kind of just bounce mm -hmm. ideas back uh, off of them, you know, because I definitely think just being in your own head is really, is really hard <laughs> all oh, the yeah. time. If you're like a, a solo project and you're just trying to like know everything and know when it's the time to put the track away or know when it's time to try something radically different with it like it's nice to ask people and to just get feedback from people around you i think you there's no general rule for a lot of these things yeah 100 percent. so mm. you ha obviously have limitations in this beat challenge um you know it's time bound yeah. when you're producing your own music like outside of the challenge do you impose any limitations on yourself or, or none at all? It's just like a free flow process. Well, I try to be as open as possible as long as I'm, it's clear that I'm working. I don't like to, cause I used to have a, I used to be in a phase where I felt like any time spent in Ableton at my computer was like productive and constructive. Like it was just mm. like the cold number of hours that I was spending that would then, you know, create something great or not. And that as long as I was working, things would be better and just keep getting better and better. And then as, as I kind of got way too deep into that phase, I realized that 
that wasn't always true. And sometimes taking time off and stepping away from it was when a lot of things happened or when you would come back from that, then ideas would just click. Whereas in a lot of cases, if you're just pushing through it, you're just pushing and pushing and pushing and it doesn't feel enjoyable. Like it it should be playing music. So if there's any like rule that I would kind of stick to and, and, and be wary of for my own work when I work is just to still be having fun and to still feel like, I'm working and not kind of just spacing and, and feeling like I need to make something like it has to feel like you have to be there and present and working and paying attention and better to work in like a burst of an hour where you're really focused and really in it than just kind of stretching on a session where you're kind of not really doing much work mm-hmm. the whole time and kind of half like, you know, cause, cause you can't pretend in the end. It's like when you're really effectively working, that's when you'll learn the most. That's when you'll mm-hmm. overcome the most obstacles. Cause you actually have to think through what you're doing and be present and focused. And so I definitely think just, being mindful of of where you're at in your head and and kind of and just working when you're working and when you're not taking time off not always thinking about it not overthinking things because then that also gets all muddled up in your head so finding time off and then being really focused when when you're in it and working and i think the beat challenge helps me with that aspect of it but it takes much longer for me to to make songs generally for sure what are some signs that you're or that someone is like in a session and it's it's just not going well and they should take a break. Like what are some warning signs perhaps? Yeah, I think I think you you start you feel it, but honestly, mm, let me see how I could cuz cuz this is another thing. I don't collaborate with people in person very often. So right. like like this like a lot, a lot of these collaborations are happening at a distance, like by sending files and stems and things like that. So it's like, if people are stuck, I'm not with them getting stuck in that situation, but I've definitely been in a co-writing kind of situation where it's, you can feel like friction after a while and inertia and people are kind of slowing down and things like that. I think the, the only things I've found that help situations like that is making sure everybody like maybe changing up the person doing the lead role at that point because in, in a lot of cases you're kind of taking steps as, as, as at being like the main person working like yeah. you know if it's production like you're the guy on the computer and a bunch of you know the, other people are thinking up of vocals or other things but like kind of switching those roles keeps people fresh when you're working with people who do different things like vocalists mm. and and instrumentalists and producers and things like that i think um i've i've seen collaborations where kind of one person was dominating like you know the work and like the front of the work and then things got tired and instead of people all working together then people kind of backed off and that person was out of ideas and i feel like having a better like like kind of chemistry with the people and like assuming you know a more shared responsibility of the task just keeps keeps people engaged and like more interested in what's going on and they don't doze off because they feel involved and they feel responsible Makes a lot of sense. You said earlier that uh, a lot of ideas click for you when you kind of step away from mm-hmm. production and just take a break and do something else. It's really interesting because recently I've been reading a lot about you know creativity uh, and, and productivity from a scientific perspective. Mm-hmm. And the research kind of shows that that's exactly how it works. Like you work hard at something, you take a break, go for a walk, and then the insights usually come to you. Mm-hmm, which is mm-hmm, so counterintuitive yeah. I think because at least for me like 
in the past, I would just push, 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 push. You know, I had the mindset that I have to produce eight hours a day or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. I absolutely, I absolutely see that's a great, like that's one of the big challenges of this and of the creative process is like, it's kind of like when you're a kid, like, I don't know if, if you've been like, probably you have like been in a situation where your parents like, like go see their friends and they have kids and kind of like your parents kind of put you bunch you with the kids and say like you guys go play you know like go play now you know and it's kind of the focus is on you (laughs) and it's like the one moment where you can't think of what do i want to do like this is just stressful it doesn't feel like you can play in that situation so that's the main challenge with the creative process and making music and all this stuff it's kind of like okay the you know the tape is rolling like it's going and it's like can you do it while we're watching not just you know in the ether where like Mm. if a tree falls in the forest you know and there's no one there will anyone hear it i mean that's not what that is line by line but just like that concept and it's like when everyone's looking then can you deliver and i think that's a whole like that's a stressful thing and sometimes it takes really just knowing how to step away for it from it to be refreshed enough to go at it a hundred percent and kind of go in and out of this persona. Whereas if it's there all the time, it gets draining. And if you're always trying to be there and like, it just dilutes how focused you can be in any of those moments. Whereas if you step away, when you come back, it's like, boom, boom, here you go. Like (laughs) at least the theory or whatever, that's how I've seen it sometimes. But yeah, Yeah, no, that makes, that makes sense to me. And I hold a controversial opinion kind of related mm. to this, okay. which is that I think most uh, producers full, who are doing it full time, who have the luxury of time, uh, would be better off just spending three to four hours a day on production than trying to do a full like nine to five or longer. I honestly think that would be better off um, simply mm. based on yes. what I've read and also the fact that like, if you look at the old composers, you know, like 200, yeah. 300 years ago, that's what yeah. they did. They would work like four hours in the morning and then go for a long walk, have a big lunch, like all that kind of stuff, and maybe do a bit more in the evening. But it's not like they were just spending the whole day sitting down making music. I definitely like in terms of just how the human like functions, I mean, that makes sense. Like you're you're demanding a cer- from a certain, like you're really drawing from a certain aspect, like when you're creatively drawing from like new ideas and, and just working like that. And that part gets really exhausted very fast. So I feel like composers understood that, you know, you have to have the stimulus material or like the source material to even draw from that part over time. So like, you know, sceneries, walking, talking Mm. with people, relationships, like basically it's so tied into how you live your life that like, if you start getting lost in the actual work of it and forget to live your life, then that is what your music becomes. It's kind of, you get caught in a loop and then what you're hearing in your music is just you trying to produce songs, not someone's like inspiring life told in music or whatever. I mean, I might be a little too romantic on that, but like, that's how I see it. I think you have to take care of your life first and then that trickles into the music other than the other way, which is, which is wrong, which is getting, you know, getting the best music will make my life great. That's never gonna, that's never gonna happen like that. No, I've seen people with that mindset who end up pretty miserable. Yeah. Yeah. That's a Um, tough one. Yeah. 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 You mentioned exhaustion and like, that's one, I just want to clarify what I said about working three to four hours a day. Mm -hmm. That should be focused intentional work i think 
if you can, like if you are making music 12 hours a day, chances are you aren't really making music 12 hours a day. No. Yeah, that's it. I always get worried when people, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but this is a good point because I always get a little worried when, you know, young producers come to me and they give you numbers like that. Oh, I haven't slept Mm -hmm. in three days. I've been working, you know, 70. And they think it's like impressive. And I've definitely been in a place where I thought that was like the the be all end all. Like if you're a hard worker there, you just put in the hours, but the quality of work decreases. And sadly enough, I've seen like, how people I, after a certain point lie to themselves about the work they're doing and it's like the quality has just gone down and the focus is gone and you could actually get more work done with more time for yourself outside of it so it's just mismanagement yeah. of time like and and it doesn't mean that I, you can't be co- constructive for a whole like productive for a whole 36 hours and sometimes projects require that but it can't be the status quo and default state to just be like I'm working all the time working all the time and making all this progress because chances are a, you're going to burn out or B, like just the work will, will be very diluted and you don't, and you don't want that stuff. Yeah. It's not sustainable. It's also stupid in my opinion, because I've noticed that a lot of people, okay, let's say a producer comes to me and says, uh, I'm I'm not motivated to make music, you know, and it's like, okay, so what are you doing? Oh, well, um, I work and then I get home and then I watch Netflix for two hours and then I start producing at 9 p.m. I sit down with no. a big Red Bull and, I, and a bag of Doritos and I work <laughs> till about two. And then I wake up at six again to go to work. It's like, dude, if you do that for like three days, you're going to be so tired. No yep. wonder you're not motivated to make music. You have no energy. Yeah. yeah. Oh, but yeah. they're looking for these little tweaks like, how do I find motivation or how do I find inspiration? It's like fix uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's much more just mastering the fundamental basic stuff, like just balancing your time, eating properly, like sleeping properly. It's not like a lot of people look for like advice, like what am I missing? And you're right. Like they look for motivation and inspiration and everything and the tips they're missing and the truth that they're missing that would like elevate everything. But in the end, it's like, it's just being, it's just accepting that it's all just the fundamental things done very well, kind of just balancing yeah. the fundamental things, not anything fancy, not anything you didn't have before. It's just like basic concept. Yeah. The way I look at it, like if you're at 50%, let's say getting better sleep will get you to say 80, better diet, mm-hmm. 90, exercise, right. maybe 95. And then right. you can look at right. those little tweaks, but like right. you're not going to go right. from 50 right. to 51. Right. That's just right. stupid. Right. Right. No. No, no, no. Oh my God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that actually I have a, like an, an analogy of that. Like I remember at Berkeley studying at Berkeley college of music and, uh, like I finished in December and I remember in one of my early, like one of my first years there, I went to a teacher and kind of thought this is my chance to get the like insider knowledge that like I never got and all the secret tips and everything. And I kind of go, cause they have office hours. All the teachers have office hours where you right. can go in their own time and kind of be on a one-to-one and, and talk to them and show them stuff. And, you know, they have limited time, but like, it's a good opportunity for that. And I went there and I was asking like basically about what it would do to in the mixing process, like run my stuff through analog equipment because I was just doing everything in the box. And I kind of was like, what am I missing with like analog and like all the fancy words you hear on the internet about warm sound and like (laughs) fat, all sorts of, you know, fancy like talk and, and things like that, which I, you know, it took me four more years to really 
value that and understand what it was about. But basically, the only comments I came out of that conversation with were, um, with this teacher were just like, you know, less reverb, like just simple things that had nothing to do with like the specific mm-hmm. questions I was asking. And then I realized, you know, it was it was just it was just the basic things that were not done right. It wasn't a matter of just doing, you know, more and more and like more secret things that I didn't know. It was just better what I already knew. Like, it's just, yeah. it's just weird. I'm going off track, but yeah. No, no. That, I, I want to ask you about Berkeley in a second. I interviewed Crane and uh, mm. he's like, a lot of people ask me how I get my kicks to punch through so much. He's like, I just turn everything else down, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's it. Like, it's yeah. not about adding 10 plugins to your no. kick channel. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. That's such a, that, that is such an important thing, what you've said right here. And this is a lesson that I learned the hard way. Like you get, you get so tricked by like the compressors and the EQs and limiters and all that stuff. And you're putting that, you're slapping that onto every channel and thinking this is like the standard, what I need to do before you even really think of what volume does. Like I, it was crazy to me when I finally understood what it did to a sound to just have it, you know, a few dB louder or not and, and just automating volume and just what it actually did. And it's the most perceptible change like EQ yes. and compression and that stuff have nothing on like what volume does to a sound. And it's the number one first thing you would have to, you know, make sure is right before you're coloring the sound. And that's why we want to like, I mean, now I'm going way off, but that's why you'd want to gain stage correctly. So as you're adding mm. plugins, it stays at that correct volume. It doesn't like change with like every plugin you're adding anyways. There's a quote from Mike Senior who wrote Mixing Secrets for the Small Studio. And he said that you should be able to get to 80% of a great mix with just your faders. Yes, 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 yes. And it's stuck with me ever since I read it. It's like, it's true. And if you think about it, like people don't understand this. Mm -hmm. And each of all the stuff is just volume manipulation. Like yeah. when you're using an EQ, you're manipulate, manipulating mm-hmm. the volume of a certain frequency range. When you're using a compressor, you're just causing automatic volume control. Yeah, you're just limiting the range of volumes of the like channel. Like, yeah, it's you're right. <laughs> like it all comes back to volume and different frequency bands, or like on the overall like how it changes over time, or like my god or like if there's more volume in the side channel or the mid channel like Mm. that's all that is like stereo stuff i mean okay there's you know there's but panning too like uh, i don't know it's scary man volume attack of volume it's like yeah if i was coaching a new producer today yeah i would just i would just say focus on faders um at least for for like three months just stick with faders because compressors and eq like (laughs) i i remember (laughs) this is so embarrassing man but I think it was like the first month I was producing, right? I was like the only person who was producing out of my friends. And I made yeah. this like really horrible Eurotrance loop. Um, yeah. And, oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> I and, know that. Uh, <laughs> and so I learned about EQ. Like I think I just watched a YouTube video. I was like, oh, this is what mixing is. Um, so basically I took the EQ, put it on the master channel, boosted the lows with a shelf about like 6 dB, and it sounded oh, yeah. better to me, of course, because it was louder oh, of course. and it had more bass. Um, and then I showed my friend, I was like, oh man, I learned how to do mixing. Here's what it sounds like unmixed. Here's what it sounds like mixed. But that's what I thought, you know, I, oh, this is EQ. Yeah. 
and that and that's so funny because I have a similar like sin that I did basically, and I've told this in like a live stream on Deadbeats's channel. So I'm I'm I guess the secret's out, but in like a remix I did really early on on FL Studio, there's this plugin called Sound Goodizer. I don't know if you've ever oh, used yeah, yeah. Studio. Yeah. <laughs> like literally, my remix of Earthquake that I did like I guess now is like six seven years ago. Like I slapped Sound Goodizer on the master and I turned it like all the way up. Like it's literally like the sound of that is because of that. Like it changed everything. Yeah. So, and I had no idea what I was doing. So I definitely can relate to like thinking things sounds better, thinking thing, things sound better, but like not really knowing what you're doing actually. And then realizing yeah. that, you know, your perception of sound plays into all of this. It's not just the sound itself it's like how you perceive sound yes. is also part of the equation and making music <laughs> that's what i was just i was going to say before um when we're talking about mixing because people will add a compressor and it will add 2 db or 3db or volume and they think that it sounds better but it's just that uh psychoacoustic bias that we have where if something sounds louder we assume it's better right absolutely absolutely and and so that, that I mean, that's the basis for the the loudness war that we've talked about mm -hmm. for, you know, so long. But I guess now it's fading out with services normalizing uh, tracks and stuff. It's kind of not as prominent a thing, but definitely now it's become a part of like the electronic sound is just crushing things and you know limiting the heck out of it. So I definitely think like we're becoming we're coming into a new age of like more dynamics and like using because like it's not just it's not just like dynamics are like if you think of classical music dynamics are such a huge part like when the thing gets louder it like brings you you know it, it shows a completely different color whereas if everything was the same loudness in a classical music piece how the emotion would be just completely gone so like right. we're not using these tools that were there given to us in music for expressivity we're literally getting rid of it just for like you know radio you know in your face kind of radio play like who's gonna get noticed in the noise like that's kind of sad because like dynamics are such a huge part of how we color like the sound and how we make people feel a certain way and i think we're finally getting back into a time where we can expect to have like more dynamic tracks and, and, and reintroduce things like that because artists will be looking for, since there's so much noise and cacophony of so many different uh, producers, because now it's available to everyone, you just need a laptop to kind of get started. I think what's going to stand above the rest is people who go back and like take into account all the things that were part of music for so long, like dynamics. <laughs> Sounds ridiculous to be saying that, but. No, no, that makes a ton of sense. Well said. Uh, switching gears for a moment, you went to Berkeley. You graduated, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in December, I finished. A lot of people don't, apparently. Yeah, there's a huge dropout rate, and I think uh, part of it is just how expensive it is. I, I definitely, it was a challenge okay. to, to finance it, but, you know, with with my hard work i finished uh, uh i was able to finish a semester early i'm thank very thankful for that and with the hard work of my whole family we're able to somehow pull it together it was kind of a a, a commitment on anyone everyone's part and it, it worked out that's awesome what was it like well because i've i've talked to a few people who went and i've had mixed kind of opinions yeah 
<laughs> it's funny. It's kind of like the lessons don't come from what you'd expect. Like you, you think you're going to go there and the, and the less and the, the classes and all that stuff is going to be like, you'll be finding out all the things that people don't know. And you'll be like, you know, you'll get all the insider info and things like that. And it never really like was, there are certain classes that really helped me like ear training, harmony, things like that in the core curriculum that really like help me hear music differently, you know, like singing uh, solfege and kind of conducting things. And just, it made me completely change my perception of what I was hearing. But a lot of the like experiences, just the people that are there who are kind of looking for the same thing as you and all have some crazy something that they do. You know, you have people mm. playing like, f like there's just every like shade of like music whether it's like folk or electronic, there's like people doing electronic folk stuff. Like that's the typical thing for me to say, obviously, like any music school would have a lot of people with different, um, obviously different musical focuses, but it's not like a production school. So you also have just really a lot of different uh, influences. And honestly, that colored what I did so much. It shaped what I did and the directions I went. It opened me up to go beyond kind of just electronic music or dubstep or whatever the labels really were and kind of be like, wait, what, but we're making music though. And there's a whole history to this. And there's so many people that see it in all these different ways. And like, it just kind of brought it back to that rather than, you know, just being very stuck in a genre, which I was still thinking along those lines back then. Would you recommend other people you know, who aren't at Berkeley, just bedroom producers would look into that more like the history and I suppose diversity. Definitely. I think there's, because I think if you, you don't have to look very far to get clues and tips and little like things of like things that haven't been done. And I, I think a lot of r the reason why we hear a lot of, you know, drops kind of sounding similar and a lot of this chord stuff. And then on one side, you have the heavier, like, club dubstep i mean i'm i'm kind of falling and uh, i'm i'm digging my own grave here i'm i'm not really sure i can i'm kind of out of the loop with a lot of dubstep and electronic music i keep up to, with it to a certain extent but i hear a lot of people being influenced by each other essentially and i feel yeah. like if you look back a little bit you don't have to look very far to get all sorts of ideas for where we could take it past this point and into directions that like it kind of isn't looking in right now so i think just on the basis of moving the art form forward um definitely you know looking back into history of music and kind of getting a better sense of like what it is rather than just looking at it from the perspective of edm or like you know from the electronic like bubble that is created yeah, people have the fallacy that the only way they can be successful is to do what's been done. Mm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of fear associated with that. Like, if I make something different, people aren't going to listen to it or they aren't going to like it. And sometimes it's true. Yeah, well, that's uh, it's a very scary thing to kind of go against because obviously, like, it's true. In the end, you have to if you're going to do this, you have to earn a living somehow. Most of the people that are going to be paying you are going to be paying because people are hearing and listening to your stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's like ha being successful. So you want to make things that work. What's the best way to know what works is to basically see what's working and kind of let yourself be influenced by that. And it reduces one of the risks. But the problem is, is if you come up 
following what works at this time, you will fall with that trend and it won't be yeah. long. It just won't be long. You can go for a short term kind of success spark and, and maybe based on the people you meet or like you are able mm -hmm. to evolve your sound and then you stay relevant in it, but it's a dangerous position to put yourself in and taking the long road, the kind of gamble where like, okay, you try to figure out what you are and what you would do. In a lot of cases like then, I think you're more confident, first of all, and then as things change, since the only thing making your music was that it was true to you, then no matter what the trends are and how they f fall and, and come and new ones surprise you and things like that, you're always just doing your own little niche sound and nobody can touch you because it's just like, like a lot of people say this and like at the end of the day, I, I can definitely appreciate like, you know, the need to live and to eat like mm -hmm. and that, that's you know and sometimes as a producer you take collabs that you aren't like thinking about i haven't really had to do that i'm happy so far um but i definitely think that for a more fulfilling life i'm thinking bigger than just your career in electronic music i'm thinking just how are you going to spend your days if you're going to wake up in the morning and do something mm -hmm. with your day i think you will just have a better time chasing after you know something that is really just true to you and that you find and discover of your own than trying to keep up with all the changing like waves and trends and things that are being put out because it's just too much work and it'll work for a bit maybe if it does uh, but then often you see people kind of get swept when these uh, things pass yeah i i would rather take a slower road to having more consistent ideal days mm. than to pursue a trend i was watching an interview with ryan holiday who's an author um mm. wrote a couple of popular books obstacle is away ego's enemy a bunch of other ones He's like 27 or something, really accomplished guy. But um, yep. in this interview, he said, think about like, like, because people set goals, you know, long-term goals. Like I want to achieve X, Y, Z, like play in front of 10,000 people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Instead, think about like, what is your ideal day and how can you get to a point where you're having that ideal day again and again? Mm -hmm. So the example he used, um, which I bring back to music production, he was marketing director at American Apparel. Mm -hmm. at 21 or something huge job like well paid and then i think he left that and he just published a book and he could afford to like spend his days writing you know three hours exercising just doing what he wanted mm -hmm. all these people that he knew athletes were saying oh i wish i could do what you, you're doing you know like writing i love reading writing books mm -hmm. and then he got a call as he was doing this for like a few weeks he got a call from american apparel saying we're in trouble we want you back um like how much can we pay you kind of thing? And he put out a number that he thought was extreme and they accepted it. They're like, cool. Um, and so then he goes and works with him for another few months. And he just hated it. You know, and he's yeah. like, this is what I don't need to do this. Like I don't need more money, but for mm -hmm. some reason I'm chasing it. And then yeah. so with music production, it's like, is it worth it to just follow that trend and do that thing? If it ends up every day, you're doing something that you're not super keen on. This is a tricky one. This the money question is a really tricky one because it does mean something to, you know, like I want I'd love to start a label eventually and I'd love to have a studio where I can give, you know, artists the opportunities that I was given in a way or I would want to believe in people the way that I was believed in and people mm -hmm. paved the way for me to do what I'm doing. So, but but to start a studio and to start a label and to do all this, like, all, you need money, you need resources to set it up. So it's like, how do you not get caught in the like kind of paradox of, well, 
even to do like a good thing, you would need the money. And then it feels like everything you're going, anything that you're going after is the money because everything starts with the money. But this is the thing. If you're actually like, I, I do believe that if you don't pay attention to the money and you're much more concerned with the specific, you know, like doing something that you would live to your highest potential, not something that you think will bring a lot of money because that's not very motivating in itself. Just something that brings more money. Like research has been done about, you know, just putting up the, the, the pay and seeing how it affects motivation. And on the long run, it isn't enough. You can, kip, you can kick up the pay. And if someone's doing something they don't like, it won't just make them work better. We know these things. If we know these things and, and we acknowledge these things, then it's clear that you have to find something in your day that is more uh, like that is more important to you than than the money that makes you feel better on a day to day basis. And following mm-hmm. that, you will actually create a life. Again, this is the theory. You would create a life that is just enjoyable and all the things that you would need, such as the money would come to support that life. I mean, that's a maybe too esoteric way to think about it. But I think if you chase after the money specifically, you'll always feel like you don't have enough, even if you have millions and millions. And even if it works out and you, and you keep having more and more money, you are chasing after the one thing that you will never exhaust and you will like, and, and, and you can just never quite have enough of it. And it's so volatile and it's just an idea in your head at the end of the day, because the paper itself isn't worth anything. It's just your imagination and the shared collective imagination of everyone saying, we believe that this is a currency that is valued at this much and this much, but it's just a piece of paper. So I think Mm -hmm. focusing on, having like meaningful, like fulfilling, purposeful experiences in your everyday life and the the interactions you have with people and things like that will like lead to a much more like fruitful, calm, like, you know, fulfilling life than chasing after an idea of money, for example. Yeah. Well, because days make up your life. Like if you're doing something, right? even if you're doing something for two hours a day that you absolutely hate, if there's a way you can remedy that, you should because that's two hours every day for like, what's that over a whole year? You know, like yeah. seven, yeah. eight hundred hours, something. Yeah, like well, it's definitely kind of time. How much is it? Um, <laughs> I want to switch gears and talk about your track that you just put out called "Without Heaven." How did that come about and tell us about the production process behind it? I was, um, so again, I was studying at that time and I kind of came up with a seed idea, like which was the drop melody. So just Mm. that like concept with drums and kind of the way the drop was just without like, it didn't sound like that because I redid, ended up redoing all the sounds after that point. But so I had the seat idea, went to my friend's house. Um, we were at Berkeley. So we we're just kind of, there's a, bl- the nice thing about Berkeley is there's like a blurred line between working and chilling and things like that. Cause you can be mm-hmm. with musicians working on your own stuff. But then if someone hears something, they kind of jump in and like, you can start collaborations really easily because everyone's just open to working and collaborating. But I mean, my roommate and and this guy, Max Chen, uh, we're just, um, 
playing FIFA, I guess. And I was working on, uh, on just on his speakers. And then he was giving me, uh, comments and like just feedback on what I was doing. And then basically we decided to start a collaboration. So this is the whole part that like no one knows about. We made a first track called Skyfall which uh, was essentially that drop, but a completely different verse and everything else was different except the drop, which was like the initial idea that I, I had started with. And uh, we kind of did it really quickly in like two, three days and had like a first mix and we kind of sat on that for a while. I wasn't fully satisfied with it. Um, and I let Max know of that, like, and it didn't have anything to do with him but it really just like there was something about the song that i wasn't feeling 100 percent, and i always like mm-hmm. that's such a red flag for me i need to work through things like that right. i can't yeah. I, I i can't let it go i just can't let it go if there's something that i am still not fully satisfied with or don't think the tracks at that point i would rather not put it out than to put out something that i think is subpar so that, that's not always a good thing to do but in this case um i wasn't satisfied enough but i love the drop idea So then I went back to the initial seed that I had and made my own track like from that seed before I had presented it to Max and then kind of just remade a whole track with a different verse and wrote vocals. My writing partner added the lyrics and we kind of worked through it together. He added harmonies. And so then it just became a solo track. And then we, through my management, we we had shown um, Dead Beats, the original one with Max Chen, uh, which was called Skyfall. Um, and then after reworking, we showed them this one and they ended up signing this one. I love it. That's so cool. Uh, <laughs> I love the kick drum, by the way. It just, it just stood out to me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been getting that comment. It's, it's, I just found a layer that I will not name that is not a sample, but <laughs> is an instrument by native okay. instruments and like that uh. there's just a patch in it and it just like is the perfect kick like fattening layer you can just have a good clean like normal kick and you add this and it's just like boom it's just like but it's a note and it's still tuned to like Mm. what what key and like what note you're actually hitting so it emphasizes it like really nice anyways that's that's the secret that is still a secret (laughs) (laughs) you can't see everything um how do you how do you approach sound design like are you doing everything from scratch synthesis uh, and what are some of your favorite tricks in that regard? Yeah. So, um, and by the way, no, nothing's a secret. That synth is called Form by uh, Native Instruments. It's a granular synth that came in uh, Complete Eleven. Oh uh, yeah. So, like, I really, I like, I love granular synthesis. But anyways, so with sound design, um, I, it, I really have trouble finding a method for sound design. I have, I'm terrible at archiving things and having a library of sounds that I've designed. I never pull from a library as I'm working like with a track, I will always design the sounds from the ground up and kind of expect myself to like know how to make the sounds that I want to make. Cause I don't know, like I use, like if you think about it, I don't like, I don't know. A lot of the sounds are kind of like just what they are. Like if it's a chord, it's like saw waves or whatever with another layer added. Like it's very fundamental. I don't think I get too tricky on like, you know, importing different waves and like, yeah. you know, morphing between like two waves. And then I, I've su- seen people in Serum. It's like they work for NASA, man. Like I, I have no idea. <laughs> like I have no idea. Like, yes, I understand like the technical aspect of like synthesis and and all that stuff. But like in my own music, what ends up being musical for me is just much, much 
quicker. It, it doesn't need like a whole lot of tweaking. What, what takes a strenuously long time is the automation that I do on things. So that, I, I guess okay. now coming back to your question, that's definitely a key aspect of like how I design my sounds is like evolving them over time and really like really like detailed automation moves of like certain parameters like um like the wave i it's usually wavetable synthesis for like main bases like massive yeah. serum i really like uh, wavetable i think is what it's called in ableton 10 the new mm-hmm. synth that they came out with that i love it because i can do it control it from my push so anything that gets me off my mouse and keyboard, I love, love, love. Like I just, if I can just like hit not like spin knobs and like hit pads and things like that, it just makes it so much funner for me. So like I love using Wavetable now just because it's completely integrated in my push. And like a lot of my sound design is kind of just tr- like trying lots of things and over time learning how different waves sound and how they sound in combination so that you can kind of combine what you're doing in your head and it's not just searching and a bunch of trial and error but to 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 learn how to synthesize and get sounds that i liked and kind of my signature sounds it was a lot of just trial and error definitely trying you know different wave wave tables playing the same note and just going through every like piece of like the the waveform and then you know putting envelopes on it seeing how it sounds when you move like through the wavetable like it was very 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 technical before and now i feel like i've i've learned things there in that process that mean i'm not searching as much and i can kind of visualize what i'm trying to do and then go in and do it and and it's also because i'm not I'm not really looking for out there sounds. I'm not looking for like, right. what's the next, you know, sound like that that's going to blow my mind. Kind of like uh, the night nightmare remix of, uh, oof, I don't know that blah, 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 like whatever that like plucky thing was that like went off and mm-hmm. Skrillex dropped it live. I forget what it's called now, but like, I think a lot of tracks rely on like a new sound that kind of stands out. And like, you know, I've really, kind of being focusing on the compositional aspects and straight staying away from like the purely technical just sound design shapes your whole track aspect i've taken it from a different angle now but sound design is still a key part of what i do it's just i have things i like and i've kind of started gravitating towards a certain sound now yeah no i like that so you would do you said you automate a lot i mean are you automating with your mouse or using a controller Mm. So with my mouse, honestly, like I, I'll play like while I'm playing, I'll I'll automate one parameter to kind of play around with it. But in the track, it'll always be actually like automating it with my mouse, like drawing it in. And and if you look at the automation lines on some tracks, like Collide that I just put out, like it's just ridiculous because so much of the bass layer and the the stuff moves just with automation. And and I can't. Because I used to use a lot of LFOs and automatically triggering things. And then I realized that the way, like, I think I'm drawing, I'm starting to draw a lot from classical music and classical composers. Because they put so much, like, expression into every note and every passage. It's not just, like, arbitrary. They don't just put an LFO on the velocity or, like, an LFO on, like, you know, it's, like, it's not an uh, automatic process. It's a process that's, like, drawn into the 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 piece and it, it and it has to be like respected that's why you have like competitions 
for classical music where, you know, they want you to play it and in the, in the right way as to say, whereas in a mm. jazz context, there's like that's seen a little bit differently to the right way. Cause it's still improvisational and you're adding your yes. touch and things like that. So I definitely have kind of gone back to the books in terms of looking at classical composers. And I think there's, there's, or painters, you know, you go into a small section of it and you just apply a lot of detail and, mm. Going back to what we were talking about earlier is, yeah, you can definitely get caught up in that and get lost in that and completely lose like <clears throat> basically like sight of where you are and get so stuck in the details that, you know, you've forgotten that no one can relate to your song by that point. So it's very fine line between overworking it. So I try to have a good seed idea, as I was saying before, and then render it to higher and higher levels of detail and adding that automation is really when i have the final sounds when i'm sure that it's there it's not like i'll start a sound to start a track and then i'll like automate the heck out of it and then realize it's not what i want to use you know what i mean that's a trap yeah. i've fallen into i think there's well i think automation is largely underrated mm. um yeah and i say that because like take sidechain compression for example most people go straight to like Ableton's compressor, that's fine. I use that all the time. But if you want like absolute fine control, you're going to use volume automation. No, you're absolutely right. And and I think this is the thing. People look for the secret, the one way that they missed, and da, 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 like the one thing that the one plugin that, you know, wasn't in their arsenal that's going to change. It's like, mm. no, actually, like, it's just like, instead of just finding one EQ setting, it's like moving the EQ with the sound to like emphasize, emphasize certain parts of the like phrase or what you're doing. Like it's like, or, or, you know, automating reverb and delays, like rather than just slapping a reverb and saying like, look, there's reverb on it now. It's like, no, a lot of it is like the reverb coming out in the specific place where the producer wants you to hear the yes. reverb. It's not just yeah. an arbitrary like layer that's like muddying because that muddies everything up and it's very dangerous to just kind of drop a reverb on things and let it stay. There's always times where that's what you're doing and there's musics where I can't even give rules like that. But if we're talking about, you know, getting clean mixes and EDM production, like I definitely think over reverb or like just not taking care of the wet signal is like a deadly mistake, deadly mistake. hundred mm. percent. Mm, this kind of goes back to what, like in the same way we were talking about, if you're not getting enough sleep, your diet sucks. Mm -hmm. Like don't pull a tweak. <laughs> It's like if you don't know how to write a chord progression or right. a melody or you don't know what a scale is, like don't worry about buying a $400 compressor. Right, right. Absolutely. But I see people do this all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's really the, that's the, wow, that's a really tricky one. And that's kind of where that question came from when I went to see my professor and said, you know, what would it add for me to like, because I thought I was at the last 5% and that, you know, running mm. something through an outboard compressor or whatever was going to just make it so punchy and stuff. And it's like, there's so many things you can already do with just the yeah. basic stuff you have. Like I kind of, yeah. I started using Wavetable out of convenience and I haven't opened Serum since, and it's been a couple months. And I think that's a mistake because Serum really has a lot to offer. But like, honestly, I just like in the enjoyment and kind of like feeling like I could get every sound out of this new synth that I had never used made me kind of trust it. And I have 
built my last three tracks basically with those sounds. None of them you've heard yet, but I, I just think like looking for the one right way to do it will just like, will make it so much more complicated because everyone's offering the right way to do it. Everyone's telling you, look here, look here, look here. But actually, if you just kind of look at what you're doing and study from the experience that you're getting, you'll find your own right way. And then you'll sound like one of the other people saying, try this, try this, try this. But actually, <laughs> like, it's like you really just can find it for yourself and, and definitely using the tips that people give you in the right way, but not just kind of looking for that because it's endless. You can get tips about everything and there's a million different ways. And I've heard lots of wrong information and I don't like the to say that you know there is such a thing as wrong like uh, information about production because it's a lot of it's trial and error there's no one right setting but like a lot of it is is misses the point or it shows you an aspect uh that isn't entirely correct like and now i'm getting carried away but just something like high passing channels i used to think that you have to high pass everything at like 100 hertz yeah. 150 hertz to like let the sub do its work or whatever and it's like there's more to the low end than just hard high pass and then i used to think that you know fab filters 96 uh db per octave filter was like the best thing ever because it would cut everything clean there and but like that causes surgical Right. And it, it causes phase issues. It. it creates like reson a little resonance peak yeah. and like it's not natural. And we have yeah. to remember that at the end of the day, humans will also respond. But like this goes back to what we we're saying about how we'll respond to something louder and how we perceive that at, to be better or whatever. You take that rule and you basically forget that there is like just because it's a tip that a lot of people give you do it blindly almost you just kind of yes. apply it because you're like well this definitely checks out because a lot of people have said this but it's still like a case by case thing it's a very like yeah. subtle thing to just cut off the low end and yes this was what i was saying about it being natural like we respond the best humans will respond to sound that is natural first mm. like the other mm. stuff will sound a little more jarring or whatever so that doesn't mean that all electronic music can't be appreciated obviously there's organic like qualities in the sound that we res we like and we enjoy but like one of the things that um we respond to is like natural frequency curves and things like that so if you're cutting things at 96 uh hertz per uh 96 db per octave there's nothing really like that in real life except like you know, certain like man-made things. So I know this is like going way like too far with this, but I really no, think awesome. that keeping like a natural, you know, like letting things roundly like come down in frequency and not just notching things so hard and things like that yeah. gets you a much more natural sound that people like can respond to as well. But I definitely wouldn't go as far as saying, you know, there is no place for like hard filter no, curves and like, you know, obviously, cause we, you know, I, sound design can be heavy and getting the sound sometimes you really gotta yeah. like you know kick things out the way and this here and compress the heck out of it like definitely i you know it's not all the natural sound will will go through but i definitely think applying rules kind of out of context and forgetting where they're coming from is a big mistake that people make by just looking for tips all the time yeah there's so many of those blanket rules um this is completely an opinion and, and a preference and I'm not saying this. So anyone listening, like I'm not saying this is truth, objective truth, but like I find really well-designed sounds to be impressive, um, like in Glitch Shop or Neuro or whatever. When I hear like an awesome guitar tone or like 
like really well recorded, good player. That makes me feel like, I don't know how to explain it, warm, like comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get more enjoyment out of that. I do find yeah. the sound design impressive, of course. I'm just saying yeah. that as an opinion. But I think yes. that comes back to that natural sound, like just mm-hmm. hearing that instrument. I think so. I definitely think so. And uh, and I think that's why a lot of like producers, now that the scene has gotten to where it is, are looking back. You know, you see Alice in Wonderland pulling out the cello on like main stage like i think that's awesome and just you know seeing people um kind of add like an organic touch again back into electronic and kind of step try and fit try guys like dabin you know really playing elenium like i like the musical Mm -hmm. stuff coming back in and that doesn't mean it can't be heavy it can't blast your head off i'm not saying that at all because i love that but it's just like i think there's definitely a closer marriage between those two things and we don't have to go so far into the electronic side to forget, you know, the, the more played aspects of what music is. What are some other of these blanket rules that you think a lot of people just blindly apply to their music? You mentioned the high passing one. Yeah. The high passing one's definitely a big one. Um, I think honestly, another one is like, but this is a tricky one and limiting is a limiting is a big issue so definitely dynamic things i think are still a big issue and their blanket rules about you know cranking everything yeah and kind of limiting i think there's something to be said for clipping things sometimes like i know that that's maybe not what i want to enforce either because that's more in the same direction but like it's not all about like living limiting to get loudness understanding like how to get loudness without just popping compressors on things and limiters and stuff like that like for example when i get my mix there's no limiter on the master i know a lot of people like like a lot of producers are like, well, it's a good kind of ceiling. You push things into the limiter and find a balance with the limiter and you'll know that in your final master, it'll like be balanced and like flat and straight because you've been mixing with a limiter. Whether you know it was on from the start or not is, is a whole different question. And I don't think you should ever start with a limiter on your master and push things into it. But generally, I think that's a dangerous thing to do because you can, it has some give, like you can push things into yeah. it a certain amount and it kind of shapes the sound. So yes. by pushing things into the limiter, you're not finding the like optimal level at which everything is balanced. You're finding like it, it's with, it becomes like within like a few dBs of being correct, but the limiter kind of squishes things together and, and alters your perception of how things sound. So I think producing, like, like we were saying about like, before you jump to limiting things and compressing things like getting a volume like a fader mix almost like getting a mix just with the right levels of everything with plenty of like dbs you know not too quite either but with plenty of dbs so that it's not going into the reds without touching a limiter so that your kick and your bass and your drop and everything can come in and still be in your green in the green like on your on your master channel and if you find like the balance without the limiter and have like found like a good place with the volume then you go in surgically with a limiter and you 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 get you know all the every last bit of like density you can into the mix you just pack things together but you don't change the overall sound because now you found a good balance and then i found that you can get so much better more loudness in the end if you just get a good balance naturally and then use the limiter not to get the right sound but to just get like visually like actually it doesn't it almost doesn't change the sound at all it's just like 
cutting off like those few dbs of actual like gain but it's like perceptively you don't hear it so i don't know that you know that that might be that might not be the the second one but i definitely think like again volume is just overlooked and just like you have to deal with the volume itself before you just use plugins to try to control the volume overall because it just kills all the dynamics and you can you can get even a louder mix without working with a limiter and then getting it later once everything's balanced yeah absolutely um i think a good question to uh, like for producers to ask to combat these blanket rules even if you're not aware of which ones you perhaps follow mm-hmm. just subconsciously is mm-hmm. like when you're adding something just asking why am i adding this yeah. now obviously there's a time for experimentation and just chucking things on tracks and so on and so on but like if you're about to add a compressor to a base channel or synth why are you doing it are you doing it yeah. because you've been told to or you think that's the right thing to do or is there a specific yeah. reason like oh this is too dynamic like i need to control the peaks or whatever you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah definitely and i think and and uh, something that plays into to that so first of all thinking more purposefully what you're saying is basically just you know being more critical about what you're doing not just doing things as a you know because you've done it before or because you've heard about it or things like that but actually hearing what it does to the sound and i think one of um the ways to to make sure you're not making this mistake and falling into this trap of not doing this is like level matching when you're comparing things like closing your eyes okay so like and and i I, you you definitely know this because this is a a a dangerous one for people because of what we were talking about earlier and louder things seeming better like just putting like for example in ableton you just set a key command to put the thing on and off you close your eye and and you set the makeup gain so that with the plug-in on with the compressor on it's still at the same level perceptively as with the compressor off then you close your eyes you hit that key a bunch of times so you're not sure if it's on or off and then you kind of go and listen to the difference and in a lot of cases you'll be appalled at like what limiters do what compressors yeah. do you kind of don't even know because you've you're just used to it making it louder and so you're using that as a reference for you're kind of adding that into what it does to the sound but at the same level it sounds a little flatter often like the character of the sound depending on what compressor you're using and you have to be careful mm-hmm. about that too it's altering the the color of the sound and almost by making it louder it 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 masks that and you don't realize what it's doing to the color of the sound. You just hear a louder sound that sounds more pleasing or whatever. It's such yeah. a good point. Yeah. It's like this fallacy or this bias of like, if you add something, it must be better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which, which kind of reminds me of another one, like sunk cost fallacy. So like some producers, and I do this a lot. If you spend like an hour and a half on something, let's say yeah. a melody, yeah. It's going to be really hard for you to see that objectively now and go, hey, actually, it's kind of a shit melody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like yeah, it's yeah. really hard to do that because you've spent so much time on it and you're so attached to it and you're like, oh, but all this work, it must yeah. be good. Even though, as we talked about earlier, like time has no bearing on quality. And, and again, you're absolutely right. And this is why I think letting time do its work is, is what I was mentioning earlier is my only way to combat this is if you leave it for a while and you're able to leave things for a while, when you get to that stage, then coming back to it, you're more open to making those changes because you forget how long you spent on that specific melody. It takes time when you're 
in that moment. And it means a lot because you just spent the last three hours working on it and you're expecting to have something done, but it's just not moving. But if it's two months later, then your perception of time and what those three hours meant is so much smaller. So you're more open to saying that melody was the issue and it was holding back the rest of the track just because I didn't want to accept that, you know, I spent a lot of time on something that didn't sound right. And I think giving it time is a way to accept these things and kind of get over these things. 100%. All right, well, I've got two more questions and then we'll wrap this up. What's coming up in the next 12 months for you? So a lot, a lot, a lot. So I finally finished my studies, obviously, so I have more time to, um, I can do this full time and I'm working with Heroic, uh, the management uh, agency in the Netherlands. And I love that, you know, we were able to work through them being a label because they were first a label and Mm. kind of reduced into um, their management agency and they signed me just at that transition. So that was very clutch and I'm very excited um, to be working with them. But so they've just set up a ton of stuff and I've, you know, obviously my job is to keep just the output going. So we have a collaboration with Rez um, that's coming out on her album. You can like pre-order it now, but it hasn't been played anywhere. It hasn't been teased anywhere. So that you'll have to keep your ears peeled for that one. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I have a few collaborations in the works. That's one that I can talk about. Um, And essentially we'll be doing a lot more shows. I got a show in LA on the 7th of July. So this will be like my first big North America show because I've been studying and under F1 visa where I'm not allowed to work. So I wasn't able to do shows up to this point, but we finally set everything up and now um, I'm playing on the 7th of July then later in the year I will be touring but so far I don't have all the details and it's kind of early to talk about so there will be a lot more live stuff which is a big step for me because for all these years I've been kind of studying in school and haven't had really the time to uh, go out and be on the road so this will be a good uh, opportunity for that and as I said a bunch of different collaborations with you know producers you know but I gotta keep it light on the yeah. info uh, <laughs> for now but so I'm really excited it's like the first time I've you know been working with a, a team that's really like doing the part of the work that helps me focus mm-hmm. uh, on the music and kind of not get distracted with all of the stuff that happens and the business side of things can be detracting if you're an artist doing everything at the same time. So I definitely think that, you know, them taking that role and me just kind of having uh, my time to work uh, has really been great. And and I'm really excited to show uh, people what we've been working on. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Now, uh, let's say you're walking down the street, you're in Boston and (laughs) a UFO comes along. (laughs) <laughs> and they, they're going to abduct you, take you away, but they give you a piece of paper and a pen to write three pieces of advice on to leave to the world. Or if you want to make it easier, because this is a hard question to answer, just producers. What is on that piece of paper? It doesn't have to be technical advice. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. People hate this question. Yeah, you just drop like the bomb on me and I'm just like here. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, here we go. Well, I would have way too many words for that small piece of paper, that's for sure. But if I had to come uh, down to three things, I would definitely like remind them that like the music is a reflection of who you are inside. That's number one. Like it doesn't matter what specific sample, what specific EQ, like what any any of that stuff doesn't matter 
if like what you're trying to put out isn't like true to you or real in some way. So I don't want to be too vague with that one, but basically just don't get lost in the technicality of making music and accept that it's just an extension of who you are as a person. Your music will sound how you interact with people and deal with the experiences and the obstacles that are presented to you in your life. So again, this goes back to inverting kind of where people get stuck that like the music will make their life great. I definitely think understanding that a great life will make great music is like kind of the first thing. Um, And then the second thing is just what we were saying earlier about like it not being about any kind of secret that you're missing or tip that you haven't heard that's going to change everything. Like just in the end, doing music on the long run and improving your music is just getting better at doing the fundamental things like volume, EQ, like, and it's all volume in the end, but like we said, but like the basic processes, compression, uh, in terms of mixing, at least volume, compression, I mean, that's the same thing. Volume EQ, like stereo with like, don't get too technical with it. Like it's all the basic tools and basic principles applied better. Your ear gets Mm -hmm. better. You hear things differently. Uh, Two people hear the same track, but one person, you know, hears that the kick's too quiet. The other person hears that like, this is too loud or whatever. You have to um, trust your own ear. Now this is becoming two things. That's an issue. (laughs) Anyways, the third tip, what would I say? Well, I would definitely say have fun and like, remember that it's called playing music for a reason. And like, don't get too bogged down by what you're expected to do and have to do and what it need means to have a great track and what's a not so great track. Like just have some fun because honestly, like the best stuff happens in the spontaneous like act of making music. It can't, you can't stage it like, and that's why collaborations can be stressful because all of a sudden here you are and the times, you know, the clock is ticking and let's get going. But like, you know, in your own time, in your own space, like you have all the time to explore and kind of make your computer a little laboratory and, and kind of, you know, have fun. So I definitely think the the, the last one would be have fun. <laughs> Love it. Finally, where can people find you online? Mm, so um, I have a website, uh, fitchmusic.com. I have my Fitch uh, artist pages, social pages. Um, it's Fitch Fitch official man I'm getting some of them are Fitch music some of them are Fitch official you search Fitch you're gonna find it Twitter Instagram those I started a bit later but Facebook which is kind of fading out slowly but um, I guess that was an important one and YouTube honestly most of my stuff that I do my challenges and things that I do directly with like my fans and the community like I definitely put out through YouTube and Spotify is where you'll find like just the cleanest accounting of, of my music and in the right order and in the right place. Cause there's a lot of uh, scattered stuff all over the internet, but Spotify is, uh, is a good reference for kind of what's been put out officially and things like that. 